Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Welcome to The Hop Take. I am your host, Peter Thomas. Today is Monday, December 11th. And on this episode of the pod, the accounting department at Town Hall pays a questionable invoice. Two local service organizations go all out to make it a memorable holiday for struggling families in our community. And AI-driven fake news comes to Hopkinton. But first, our main story this week is that Hopkinton town manager Norman Kamalo has announced his resignation. On Monday, December 4th, Hop News learned through sources at Town Hall that Kamalo is indeed leaving to take a job in the private sector. Kamalo is Hopkinton's second town manager. He was hired in 2009, and in a press release that followed late that evening, Town Hall described Kumalo's exit as a, quote, retirement from public service, and they confirmed that he would be joining the multinational firm Pattern Energy as vice president of government relations and growth. While no end date has been set, he does plan to depart in early 2024. So here's my take. So Norman's leaving Town Hall, and there's a lot going on. First and foremost is the exodus of his staff. In the past year, there have been many notable departures from the CFO, Tim O'Leary, and candidly, he appears to be returning as a contractor to help with the budget, but no one really seems sure of his employment status. Uh, The town accountant, Liz Rourke, his procurement manager and payroll specialist are gone. Most recently, HR director Maria Casey announced her exit, and town treasurer Diane Hendricks will be leaving in January as well. Even building inspector Mike Shepard, a former selectman and a townie for life, has also resigned. I'm probably missing a few, but none of this counts the several police officers that have resigned in the previous years as well. In other words, this is unprecedented turnover for our town. And several Hop News readers have written in and and, uh, questioned what's going on inside town hall that makes people want to leave. Uh, Even former police officer Chuck Wallace did so in a letter to the select board last week. Ultimately, as the senior most manager, I think the buck stops with Norman. And while we're speaking of the police, the trial of former deputy chief of police Jay Porter is scheduled to begin in September of 2024. Porter was placed on administrative leave in August of 2022 due to an investigation by the Middlesex DA, who at the time did not make their reasons public. Because Hopkinton's charter makes Chief Joe Bennett a weak chief, he only has authority to suspend someone for five days, and only the select board can go longer than that. It's just unbelievable to think that the DA would have told Bennett and the select board via the town manager to suspend their deputy chief without telling them why. And that brings me to the really unfortunate part of this whole situation. For years, Porter was the girls' varsity soccer coach at Blackstone Valley Tech in Upton. But no one in Hopkinton even bothered to call the BVT superintendent to give him a heads up. Therefore, Porter coached teenage girls for the entire season, even while suspended from duty and under investigation for felony child rape. It's just not a good look. And this timeline is likely to be reaffirmed during Porter's trial next September, and it's my guess that Norman doesn't want to be anywhere near public service when that happens. And finally, on this point... Where Norman is going has also raised eyebrows. Pattern Energy has a wholly owned subsidiary based in Hopkinton. 
which goes by the name of Solect Energy. Many of us know this because at the last town meeting, we voted to authorize the town to enter a power purchase agreement with Solect Energy for the use of the schools. Now, three former Select Board members work at Solect, Brian Herr, Todd Sestari, and John Mosier. And now, given that Norman has negotiated these power purchase agreements with Select over the last few years, it's really interesting that of all the companies in the world he could have chosen, this is the one he would go to. More to come on that. On Wednesday, December 6th, Select Board Chair Muriel Kramer unfortunately suffered an apparent stroke while walking with a friend in Boston. Her friend recognized the signs of the stroke and called 911 quickly, and within 20 minutes, Kramer had been transported to a local hospital and received quality care. She is reportedly at home, resting, and recovering at this hour. Here's my take. I am personally very relieved that Muriel's friend was so well-trained and was able to act so quickly. Muriel has served the town of Hopkinton for many, many years as both a member of the select board as well as the planning board and in other volunteer capacities. I personally uh, appreciate that Muriel uh, maintains a level of professionalism, um, no matter if she agrees or disagrees with somebody. And she is very good about keeping to the issues and sticking to the issue and understanding that an issue, uh, while she may not agree with it, she, she doesn't take that personally and she doesn't assign that to the other person. She's just very cool about understanding that everybody wants what's best for Hopkinton um, and just has a different way of getting there sometimes. So um, speaking for many, many people, I know we wish her all the best uh, for a speedy recovery and we look forward to seeing her return to service on the select board. Our third story today, on Tuesday, Hop News reported that it had sent the town a fake invoice and that the town had paid it. This raised several questions about the processes in place to ensure that only legitimate vendors are paid and that accounting procedures are in effect at Town Hall. We did provide an advanced copy of the article to Town Manager Norman Kamalo, who issued this statement, as read by Select Board Chair Muriel Kramer the following day. Um, We did have um, a public statement in response to um, learning yesterday that the town of Hopkinton recently received a fraudulent invoice from hopnews.com that was unfortunately processed and subsequently paid. We have taken appropriate steps to correct for the mistake and cancel the payment. We have further taken the steps to ensure our review processes for like payments are reinforced to protect our employees and the town from similar fraudulent activity in the future. We want to be clear that we have full confidence in our employees and we will be pursuing appropriate legal recourse to protect the town in the future from fraudulent activities. We take this very seriously and we stand behind our employees. We value them, we trust them, and we respect them. And we have full confidence in our employees in town hall and around town. Thank you. Here's my take. Well, this story sort of blew up. And I think what's been lost in all the back and forth is the underlying motivation for us testing the system in the first place. 
Um, on October 10th, uh, we had received a, a spreadsheet of all invoices paid by the town since October 2020. I mean, we were curious just you know, how much has been spent over the last couple of years and who got it. So what we learned from that data was that over a nearly four-year period, 87,000 individual payments were made to 6,311 vendors. So that was just astonishing to us, that it was just such a huge number of companies that have been paid by Town Hall. I, I should say companies and individuals, because you know you have the normal contractors and vendors that that you know that the town needs to do construction and to conduct business, uh, but everything was included in that. And you know, for example, uh, police officers that were off duty doing traffic assignments and traffic details and things like that were included. So, you know, that also did not include any employee salaries, which are of course the town's largest expense. Um, so if you if you set aside salaries, just looking in 2023, 2023, the town paid seventy three million dollars out. So that's a tremendous amount of money. Um, and and again, the number of vendors that uh, that they're managing and paying at any time was just so huge that we wondered who could manage all those companies and make sure that they're providing the the best service for the lowest price. It just seemed unlikely that anyone was really looking at this very closely. So, you know, to test this, what we did was we sent an invoice in for 200 bucks. Uh, we, we had never done any work for the town of Hopkinton. Um, so we weren't a vendor. Um, and we, we basically, we sent the invoice with a, a, uh, a project called the sustainable green committee expo advertising campaign. So it was completely made up. Um, and of course, I think it goes without saying, even though we did say it in the article, that we never had any intention of keeping the $200. And in fact, we were stunned to receive the check, um, which we immediately voided and then mailed back to town hall. The entire point of the exercise was to show that, at least in this case, and I mean, quite possibly many others, basic accounting procedures are not really being followed. Now, my concern is that there are vendors who are not very reputable, who might be billing the town, and of course that means Hopkinton taxpayers, for services they have not performed, or maybe for more than the contracted amount. I mean, we were we were theorizing that maybe a, a, a contractor sends, sends in an invoice and it, it says, oh, well, it's accidentally 10% more than what they agreed to, but you know, who's really paying attention? And you know, the town does not use purchase orders, which is a really basic accounting function. Um, and they don't use them with any regularity. So, you know, from our perspective, the system is really vulnerable to exploitation. And I guess what compounds this problem is that there's no town accountant uh, currently or a CFO in place. So, you know, who, who's monitoring the accounting procedures and who's scrutinizing what gets paid? So, you know, our take is that the town manager should immediately introduce a, a vendor approval process and really reduce the list of vendors. I mean, they, they should take a, a look at the 930 plus vendors that have been paid in 2023 and say, you know, do we really need these guys? Is there another vendor that can do it? You know, who at the vendor is qualified to negotiate with us to reduce pricing? Are we getting the best deal for our money? That would be a really good first step. 
to confirming that only the legitimate expenses are being paid. And I think the other thing the town manager should do is mandate that every invoice has to be matched to a purchase order. And and those purchase orders should be issued by the town uh, before the work starts and before any invoice is received. Because that means we can ensure that only the approved and budgeted expenses are paid. I mean, these are just basic financial controls that are in place for, for basically every business in the world. So, you know, in considering all of that, the reality of our finance department is that you know, Hopkinton basically manages a budget of more than $120 million every year on spreadsheets. Now, we have an ERP system in place. It's called Munis, and it has invoicing and reconciliation and cash management and budgeting, and it has all of these capabilities that a, any ERP system would have. But what I'm told is that a lot of departments are afraid to use it because they just don't know how. So instead, Every town department submits their budget on a Google Sheet, and then that Google Sheet gets consolidated into one big Google Sheet that the town manager uses to make a summary budget. Now, this lack of sophistication, it just works against us, and it really makes the budgeting process tedious, but it also makes the reconciliation process tedious and extremely difficult. The financial reports that that the town publishes for the annual town report, for example, that's done entirely by hand. Somebody is comparing the spreadsheet and then typing in uh, for the town report. Um, so how many times was a number transposed or, or how many times was that actually correct? The, the reality is when we're voting at town meeting to approve that town report, the financials, we're just assuming that it was all done right. And, you know, given that it's done by hand, it's just really likely that it's not been done all right. So, you know, as a town, we really need to get better in this area and fast. Today's presenting sponsor is Sunnyside Gardens, located on Hayden Row. Looking to make an impression at the holiday party this year? Give your host a beautiful holiday arrangement crafted with love and care from Carrie Hurley White and her team at Sunnyside Gardens. Their best-selling boxwood beauty makes the best housewarming, hostess gift, or gift for yourself. The arrangement is guaranteed to last throughout the holiday season and adds a festive flair to your holiday decor. Visit Sunnyside Gardens in Hopkinton to get yours today. In heartwarming news this week, members of Faith Community Church of Hopkinton signed up to deliver Christmas for 630 children in our town and the Metro West. The church launched the giving campaign in October, and each needy family had a wish list that was provided to members of the church And then those families adopted one or more families to help make their holiday special. The church dropped off all the gifts to Project Just Because, who will be coordinating the pickup. And then on Saturday, the Hopkinson Community Partnership hosted their annual Elf on the Shelf scavenger hunt on the Common. Hop News caught up with Hopkinson Community Partnership's Heather Smith, who had this to say. So every year I try to just bring events where communities can come together, specifically Hopkinton, but also Ashland and surrounding towns. But the main reason we do this is to raise money for a lot of the families in our community who are in need of holiday items or anything that they need just in general during this time of year. Here's my take. It is awesome to see what people do in this community, what what people, families, organizations do in this in this community and, and how they step up to support uh, the most vulnerable and those that are most in need. Uh, standing at Project Just Because, I can remember hearing uh, 
Cheryl Ann Lambert, the president, say this is their Christmas. I mean, there is no Christmas for these children uh, without these gifts. And, you know, she was, you know, obviously humbled by the generosity of the community um, and just, you know, how Hopkinton really gives when needed. There were the, the, the room was full of bags full of gifts. And, you know, some of the families had even requested, uh, you know, bicycles, which, you know, obviously are expensive, but not, not only one bike was delivered, but three bikes were delivered for kids that had never had a bike. And then there were other things that struck me like diapers and food and, you know, necessities that you wouldn't normally see on a Christmas list, but, um, there they were. I mean, these are the things that, that struggling families really need. And, you know, the members of Faith Community Church stepped up and provided it. It's just awesome. And and even last year, they only did 500 children, um, which is still a lot. And this year, they went all out and, and sponsored 630. So hats off to them for, you know, really coming together and, and, and leaning in. Um, you know, and then on Saturday, the Hopkinton Community Partnership, and that's, you know, Heather's organization and other folks, did the Elf on the Shelf scavenger hunt, which was super fun to see the kids come up. They, they all got a little map of downtown businesses. So um, Hopio and Alltown Fresh and 110 Grill, uh, Sunnyside Gardens, you know, there, there were several Hopkinton businesses that, that, uh, that put an elf up and then the kids would stop by and look around and, and try and find the elf. And of course they get a little prize uh, and they, uh, each of the downtown businesses were offering raffles and things like that as well. So it's just really, it's, you know, it's cool to see the magic of Christmas. It's really cool to see how the town comes together. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's infectious to see, you know, just, just how wonderful of a blessing this is, uh, for the kids. And, um, you know, I, I really loved it. And, and if you want to check out the pictures, there's, there's some, some great pictures and some video on hopnews.com. Um, I dare you to watch it. I dare you not to be moved by it. It is, it is absolutely tremendous what some of the folks in this community do um, to help others. Finally, on December 6th, a social post was widely circulated on Facebook that declared Hopkinton the most peaceful town in the U.S., Several people commented on this, some questioning the post and some elated that Hopkinton had been recognized for such a prestigious honor. The Independent ran a feature on it that garnered several comments as well, but a closer look at the content revealed that the article was almost entirely generated by artificial intelligence. Here's my take. So when I first saw this, I was skeptical just from the headline alone. Uh, First of all, the word peaceful is it's just an unusual term to use in a headline, um, especially considering what's going on in the world right now uh, with, um, you know, spe- specifically in the Middle East and then, of course, you, you know, Russia and, and the Ukraine. So, you know, it seemed like the headline itself was very clickbaity. And then as I started digging in, the, the content itself seemed kind of strange to me, like, First, the first thing was the website, the travel.com. I had never heard of that. Uh, of course, I've heard of TripAdvisor and, you know, there's, there's lots of travel sites like travel and leisure that are reputable, that are places where you would go to 
you know, get a get a good opinion about something. But I, I'd never heard of this website. Um, and then the content, the paragraph, this, the format of it, it just seemed very suspicious. So what I did was I ran the copy through copyleaks.com uh, and GPT-0, which are both websites that teachers use because they are trying to prevent students from submitting papers that are written by AI, which is a major problem in schools now. And of course, uh, of course, both these sites flagged the content as having been written by AI. Um, in fact, uh, uh, GPT-0 said that it was 93% probable that the text was written by AI. So, you know, the, the problem with this is that AI is becoming very, very sophisticated. And it's really hard to tell the difference between uh, an article or a piece of content that's written by a human versus something that's written by a machine. So, you know, my hope is that, and my hope in publishing the story was that it would teach people how to differentiate these things because AI does leave its little fingerprints um, in stuff. So so we talked about the the website itself, the travel, which is which is something that, most people haven't heard of. And if you go to that site, you'll see that it's basically top 12 most uh, wonderful places to visit or top 12 most peaceful towns or top X places to live. And, you know, it's they're all top X lists and and top X lists are, you know, they're not very useful for humans, really. They're they're way better for Google and Bing and search engines like that, because people will often begin their searches with like, you know, what are the top three things I should be thinking about? if I'm thinking about going on vacation or what are the top three gift ideas for 2023, you know, so people do search that way, which is why some of these sites, which are basically honeypots to attract you and so that you see their advertisements. Um, that's why they structure their content that way. Um, the second giveaway was the author. The author claimed to live in India and had also written 1,108 articles. And, and actually, if you click into her LinkedIn profile, which I did, you know, she claims to have written 3,000 articles. So she's a professional content writer, which is a legit, legitimate job, obviously. But, you know, even though the article didn't state that she'd been to Hopkinton, it, given her picture, which, which appeared to be a younger woman, it's just really unlikely that she was so well-traveled to all of these places um, at such a young age. And then, of course, when I clicked the link to her personal website, that was a dead link. It goes nowhere. So that's another giveaway because a lot of times AI will create an author profile, but then it's not good at following all the, you know, all the little trails down, right? So it'll just do enough to kind of give the article some credibility. Um, the third thing I noticed was just the writing style itself. So th there was no personal anecdote. There was no personal opinion. It was a lot of like high level facts. So like, you know, crime statistics, things that are easy to find on um, websites like ChatGPT, sorry, like uh, Wikipedia, like census.gov. Um, and that's because AI itself trains on these sites. It uses what's called a large language model, which basically goes and scours the web and it indexes everything that it finds out so that it can come back and spit that back to you in, in a human readable form. Now, you know, it's only good, as good as the data that it, that it receives. So that's why it was, it was the, the summary, which I think was absolutely absurd. The summary of Hawkinton was kind of the most obvious component of this. The summary read, quote, the town of Hopkinton, located in Massachusetts, gives a great deal of consideration to the physical and mental health of its residents. 
In addition, Hopkinton provides confidential psychological exams and conducts workshops centered on healthy living and maintaining personal well-being, close quote. So, you know, candidly, I don't know if Hopkinton does provide confidential psychological exams. Maybe, maybe they do. Um, Not likely to be the first thing people want to know when they come to our town. Um, But it's likely that the uh, AI was trained on some documents that that mention Hopkinton and psychological exams. And so that's why it thinks that we do that. Um, you know, the, the article also said that that we had a brand new public library, which everybody knows was built in 2017. So it's like not new anymore. Um, what is I thought most noticeable is that the, what's the thing that, that most people, if you were to say, oh, I live in Hopkinton and they're like, where's that? Well, most people would say, well, it's the start of the marathon. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, so that's kind of the thing that identifies Hopkinton. Um, it doesn't mention that at all. Right. So that that would be something that I think somebody traveling to Hopkinton would probably want to know about us. So anyway, the, the point of the whole story was to try to give our readers a way to differentiate between, um, you know, I'll say fake news, you know, news invented by robots versus news that is written by a human. And and it's really important, increasingly important, I would say, to just maintain a healthy skepticism when you're reading any content nowadays, because you just it's hard to know. It really is. But if you're paying attention, you know, you can see, you know, you can see little things like that and, and not be fooled. All right. Well, that almost takes us to the end. Uh, the last thing we're going to do on this pod is what we call the History Minute. Because uh, I like history, and there is a ton of history in Hopkinton, and I just am fascinated by it. There's there's just I'm, I feel like I talk to folks, and I, I always learn something that's happened here. So today we're going to talk about Hopkinton's famous streets. So you can trace a lot of our history through our street names. Hopkinton is home to Claflin Street, Claflin Place, Claflin Avenue, and Claflin Commons. So you'll see the name Claflin all around town. And and Claflin is one of the most famous names in Hopkinton, and it centers around the history of bootmaking in our town. So in the early to mid-1800s, Hopkinton was a shoe town because one of our residents, Joseph Walker, who Walker Street is named after, uh, invented the shoe peg which improved the way the soles of boots would stay bound to the shoe itself. So Lee Claflin and Walker partnered to build a boot factory in Woodville, and several other factories sprung up in the area too. Claflin's son, William, went on to become the governor of Massachusetts and one of the most influential people in our state's history. Other streets in Hopkinton are more obviously named. Pond Street has, you know, a big pond, which we call Lake Whitehall. School Street is named for the Bear Hill Schoolhouse that sat at the intersection of Pond and School Streets until around the 1950s. Uh, And Spring Street hosted the healing springs that Joseph Norcross used to attract visitors from far and wide to his hotel that was built on the shores of Lake Whitehall in the 1800s. And of course, that's where we get Norcross Road as well. The wonderful Anne Matina of the Hopkinton Historical Society did a great article on the origin of Hopkinton streets, and you can visit the history section of Hop News to learn more. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Hop Take, and I look forward to seeing you around town.